One or two questions, if I may. Blessing is used to me asking questions, but they're going to be easy. Stuart, it's, it's great to have you. And you are very w warmly welcome. I'm sorry it's this side of the Pennines, but uh, on another occasion. Stuart, uh, a little bird told me you've recently been honoured with, uh, you've, you've won a great award. What? Um, in, in a few weeks' time, I get presented with the Institution of Mechanical Engineers James Clayton Prize. Which means what? Um, what have you done to get that? It's given to the top mechanical engineer in, in the United Kingdom. Oh. Now, when I got Slimming World Man of the Year, there were, there, were, well, there were only three in the group and one was absent. Are there, are there only two or three mechanical engineers, really? Um, it, it, in the UK, I think 120,000 professionals. Oh, okay. Then, all right. It's slightly better than me. I want a, a, a pineapple. What did? Anyway, never mind. Uh, it's great to have you, Stuart. Just a few questions about yourself. Um, you're converted, I think, as a university student. Uh, yes, in my first year of university, got invited to a Christian Union meeting, and coming from a non-Christian family, that was an uh, amazing experience for me, and I really appreciate the work. Christian unions do, and it was good to hear that report right. earlier. But also, a Christian family really befriended you, didn't they? Yeah, there was a family, the Halton family, and they kind of adopted me, and that was a tremendous witness, and they've prayed for me ever since. Well, and they took you, you went out there on Sunday lunch and spent yes. time with a Christian family, that's yeah. great. And um, you ended up in academia, is that because you really couldn't do much else, or...? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, while it's researching in academia, I've also done practical work for the European Space Agency and Team GB. And in fact, you designed the solar panels for the European Space Rockets, is that right? Uh, yeah, various satellites, a little bit on the Hubble Space Telescope, but mainly the Earth observation satellites. So when this space rocket was launched, which I think you've told me cost £1.4 billion, pounds, yes. how did you feel? If you designed the solar panels, how did you feel? Um, well, I often mention to people I felt absolutely terrified and physically <laughs> sick uh, because I was I had designed the solar panel deployment system and that was a kind of single point failure so if that didn't work within 50 minutes of launch the whole mission was dead and I knew it so I was <laughs> terrified but it succeeded yeah and um, and perhaps more interestingly for many of us you designed the bicycle chain for the British Olympic cycling team and of course they did really well in in wherever it was recently and um, tell us about that how were you approached what, what happened yeah i was asked to design the transmission for the rio olympics because team gb cycling they perfected the aerodynamics but they knew they had a weak point so they came to me to do that and yeah that was very successful for the rio olympics but i'm very. still working for the tokyo Olympics and just in the last few weeks we've fixed the, the design for Tokyo. And when they approached you for that, because it's a great thing to be asked to design it, what, yeah. what was your request? My first request was, well they said could I do it and I said on one condition if they give me an official Olympic tracksuit. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. I, yeah, I've got it in my home. That's yeah. great, it really. So you work quite closely with the cycling team, Bradley Wiggins and people like this you know. Yeah, I often come up to Manchester to the, to the velodrome. Um, I'm very privileged to eat in the same canteen as Bradley Wiggins. It's very good food there. And I'm it's really good to meet the uh, cyclists as well. I once waited to watch it at the Yorkshire Bradley Wiggins was in 
involved and I waited an hour and a half and my experience yeah. of seeing him went something like this. <laughs> 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 That's, That's yeah. great. And what are you working on at the moment, Stuart? Uh, well, it's mainly finishing the work for the Tokyo Olympics, okay. but I'm also doing bio-inspired design, looking at the design of insect wings and bird wings in order to be inspired to produce better engineering systems. So I love studying man-made design and, and natural design. Amazing. It really is great to have you here. You're a professor in, in Bristol, but you're in Cambridge as well. You examine, I think, in Cambridge. Yeah, right? I'm the external examiner for the engineering programme at Cambridge. Wow. So if anybody crosses your palm with silver, could they get a first, do you think? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. OK. It's the only way I could have ever got one. But, um, uh, <laughs> Stuart, <laughs> there was no joke there. I'm being absolutely serious. Uh, Stuart, you've done quite a lot of writing. We've... Uh, obviously, ten of those have your books, sell your books, and I'm going to quickly go through them, if I may. Which which of these was the first one? Was it this one? This yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so this is Hallmarks of Design. Um, they've greatly reduced the price, of course. Hallmarks of des uh, Design, Evidence of Purposeful Design and Beauty in Nature. Tell us, what, what is this? Uh, it was first published in 2000, and it's really an exposition of Romans 120, uh, God's Invisible Attributes, clearly seen in creation, so it looks at uh, beautiful things like peacock feathers and bird songs, and it looks at complicated things like uh, the bird wings um, and uh, how plants and other things are designed to show there's very compelling evidence for a creator. Okay, now I am no scientist, but this is something, you know, I've read and I understood, it's, it's, it's straightforward. So uh, it's normally £8, we're selling it here for 6 would you sign it? Uh, very happily, yes. So it, it'd be worth three then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, we will give you an hour, don't worry. And then the design and origin of man, what, what's this about? Uh, this one uh, talks about how man is fearfully and wonderfully made and especially focuses on what I call purposeful over-design. Our hands, our brains are far more than we need to survive. God wants us to be creative and productive and that's a great challenge to evolution and shows God as a great creator. Okay, and then <coughs> he made the stars also. That covers clockwork motion in the solar system and the universe. As Isaac Newton said, it can't be here by chance. But it also looks at the question of extraterrestrial life as well, which is quite topical today, what the Bible says about that. Interesting. And then more expensive, but we still reduce it. It says... Ooh, £25, but we've got it for 15 Sorry, you won't get many royalties from this. That's anyway, a good bargain. <laughs> um, wonders of creation, and it's, it's jointly written with <coughs> Professor Andy McIntosh, who's here as well, yeah, somewhere I saw. There he is at the front. What What is this? Uh, I'm actually going to introduce that in the first okay, part of my... Right. So uh, you sign it, and book. we can get Andy to sign it as well, and it'll be worth <laughs> £3 at the end. But, um, Stuart, it's great to have you. He asked me how long he'd got, and I said, anything up to an hour, so... Sit tight. Here goes, Stuart. You're very welcome. Thank yeah, you. thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so in the first few slides, I'll mention something about the latest book uh, by Andy and myself, Wonders of Creation, and then I'll give a particular case study on the wonder of the nervous system. Uh, Roger said people are very clever up north, so I thought I would do neuroscience for you uh, uh, this evening. But the, the purpose of writing that book, The Wonders of Creation, was to encourage Christians to show that there's absolutely no conflict between science and the Bible, uh, to encourage Christians to be confident in their faith and confident in believing Genesis, 
also to encourage seekers and to challenge uh, the atheists. So we wanted to produce a really high quality colour book <coughs> that would compete with some of the atheistic uh, programmes and books that, that, that we get. Uh, so I'll just have a few slides on that. Uh, so I'm sure you've seen some of these kind of programmes. There are also books associated with these kind of programmes. This last weekend, I watched the first episode of Seven Continents, David Attenborough's latest natural history programme. And on these kind of programmes, you see these wonderful pictures of God's creation, wonderfully proclaiming God's power and wisdom. But very sadly, there's no mention of God, not even an acknowledgement of God, no description of God's character. And it's not neutral. It's actually an atheistic yeah. world view because there's no mention of God. It's strongly implied that all this just came about by chance over millions of years. There's no creator. So you have these wonderful pictures and a terrible commentary. And so that was one of the motivations for Andy and myself to produce uh, a book that gave glory to the creator. And it's not just missing out acknowledgement of the creator. If you, if you listen to the words of David Attenborough, there's a lot of confused thinking about creation. He doesn't understand that God has put all things under man's feet, that God has designed the earth to be inhabited for man, that God has given us resources, food. There's no mention of those things. Just to give you one example, David Attenborough said this, that this, this was in Blue Planet 2, we might have expected the deep sea to be truly barren, but there is unimaginable abundance. Astonishingly, there is more life in the deep sea than anywhere else on earth. And so David Attenborough will say it's very strange that there are so many stars and it's very strange there are so many fish. But if he read the Bible, he would not be surprised. This is what it says in Genesis 1. Let the waters abound with an abundance of living Creatures, if he had read the first chapter of Genesis, he would not have been astonished. But all of his commentary, it shows a lack of understanding of creation. And, and sadly, millions of people watch these programs and they're getting misled and led astray. Hence, uh, the, the need for good Christian literature. Um, so what we wanted to do was to give unto the Lord the glory due his name. This is actually an American version because the book has already been translated into American. <laughs> uh, the Queen's English into a simpler form of uh, English. And the inspiration for the title of the book comes from Job chapter 9. God does great things past finding out, wonders without number. Uh, you could spend your whole life just studying the stars and you could, not, you could hardly scratch the surface. And it's the same with every part of creation. So we wanted to call the book Wonders of Creation. But now I want to come to a particular topic, the wonder of the nervous system. This is a, a brand new talk I've developed and I gave it for the first time just a few days ago at the mega conference in Birmingham and I've already updated a couple of slides uh, <laughs> since then. But to me this is one of surely the most powerful evidences of not just a creator, but God's greatness and goodness as well, because God is a God of incredible,
detail, and not just detailed power in creation, but it then shows his detailed care for man. I'll come to that at the end. The reason for my interest in the nervous system is that I've been involved in designing wiring systems for spacecraft, in particular getting all the power lines from the solar panels into the spacecraft. And I'm also interested in biology. I've visited biology departments. So I thought I've got a unique <coughs> opportunity here because I've worked on the most advanced wiring systems on man-made systems, engineering systems. And I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating to compare what God has done in the human body, the wiring of our nervous system, and compare that with the best thing that human designers have ever done. And it's a really interesting test because if this world had evolved by chance, our wiring system could not be as complex as a spacecraft system because a spacecraft system is designed by designers who are not limited to step-by-step -step change. Whereas evolution is very, very, it's a very limited process of step-by-step -step change. On the other hand, if God has designed the nervous system, you would expect it to be far greater than a spacecraft system. So it's a wonderful test case. I wanted to do this just out of interest anyway. But on a wiring system for a spacecraft, so we're doing rocket science, not just neuroscience tonight. Uh, the wires integrate all the subsystems. So wiring needs lots and lots of planning. What you find is the wires go into precise bundles. You'd see that on these computer wires. You'd have lots of wires inside other kind of cables. The wires have to cross moving joints. Anything that moves, the wire has to go across. So it needs a lot of careful planning and design. And the wires have to pass through structures. When I was designing the wiring system on the spacecraft, I would have to have a meeting with the structural engineers and say, I'm sorry, but I've got to put a hole through your beam because otherwise I cannot get my wire to the other side of the spacecraft. And I would have to liaise with all of the different subsystems, the structural subsystem, the thermal subsystem, the instrument sub subsystem, the computer subsystem. I'd have to integrate everything over the whole spacecraft. So I... It had to be designed top down. It could never be evolved from the bottom up. It had to be well coordinated, planning ahead in advance to get everything just right. Uh, on a spacecraft, on the Metop C spacecraft, this was the last one I was involved with. It was launched uh, nearly a year ago in 2018. It has 30 kilometers of wiring, I know, because I did most of it. Uh, myself, so it's a lot of wiring, um, and so I thought, okay, how does the human body compare with that? And that's what I'm going to now show you over the next few minutes. Uh, just to give you a picture, uh, here are a couple of uh, parts of that previous spacecraft I designed. You can see the cables coming down from the solar array, uh, so different bundles, and then into a bigger bundle. And then they're looping around some hinges. And here you can see the connectors. So this is some of the work uh, that I did myself on a spacecraft. Now, when you watch a sports person, you're probably thinking, I wonder if they'll win the championship, if they become world number one. Uh, if I look at these pictures now, I don't think of the sport at all. I think, how do they move their muscles so fast? How do their eyes track the ball? 
if the tennis ball is going 100 miles an hour, how could he possibly watch that? So since studying the nervous system, I look at the world in a different way. Uh, now, how do you hold a grain of sand? Because humans have not just strong muscles, but very delicate muscles as well. We can hold a feather or a grain of sand with a very delicate force. Well, what happens is you have in your brain, a part of your brain is called the motor cortex. It's a section of the brain that controls the 650 muscles in your body. You then have these neural pathways, nerves, that go down to muscles. And even for one muscle, I said you had 650 muscles, each muscle is made up of many individual bundles. So you have many tens of thousands of muscle bundles in your body, each of which is connected with a nerve. So you have tens of thousands of separate nerves going to tens of thousands of separate bundles. If you want to hold something with a very delicate force, your brain very cleverly sends just a few signals to a few bundles to hold something with a little force. And if you want to hold something with a big force, it sends a mass of neurons to, to a mass of muscle bundles. So that's how you hold something. So your brain sends signals down from your brain into your body to move your muscles. But your body also senses things and signals go up from your body into your brain. On your, around your body, you have something like six million sensors in your skin. Many pressure sensors, temperature sensors, pain sensors, other kinds of sensors, millions of signals going up into your brain. An amazing thing that your brain does, your brain receives millions of signals each second, but it knows which signals are important. And if a fly lands on your hand, you're not even looking at your hand. If a fly lands on your hand, your brain tells you, I think a fly has just landed on your hand, <laughs> even though you have a million other signals coming to your brain. Now, a small fly, how much does it weigh? About a millionth of a kilogram. A small fly weighs a millionth of a kilogram. A spacecraft engineer would struggle to get a pressure sensor to detect a millionth of a kilogram. But God has solved that one. And I'll show you how God uh, does that. Here is a small section of skin. And it's like one millimetre cubed. And you can see all of these different pressure sensors and temperature sensors, pain sensors. But the really, really clever one is this. Notice there's a hair. So on the back of your hand, you have lots of hairs. What do you see at the bottom of the hair? You see tiny, minuscule little nerves wrapped around that hair. So what that means is this fly will bend this hair by a tiny distance. So that hair will deflect by a tiny distance. It will then amplify the effect and this nerve will detect that the top of the hair has just moved. It's one of six million sensors in your body. It will then send a signal all the way up to your brain through the neural pathway. Your brain 
will in a split second detect this signal is the most important out of six million and it will say a fly has just landed on your hand over there. Now if you're watching television you might be distracted but if you're not distracted <laughs> you'll then look over and see a fly has landed on your hand. It is the most astonishing uh, thing. So we're going to now have a run through of the central nervous system. So you, as I was explaining, you have all these signals going down to your muscles. They start up here and they go down, but you have all these sensor signals that come from your body and go up to your brain. So to help explain this, um, I'm drawing the down signals in red and I'm drawing the, the up signals, the sensors, in blue. So I've got red and uh, blue. So I'm going to get go through briefly 10 amazing features of the nervous system. The first one is an amazing integration with the vertebral column. Notice how the spinal cord goes right down the middle of this hole. The vertebral column is an amazing design with each vertebra sitting on top of the other, a little bit like a stack of cups. Very flexible, a wonderful design that's being looked at at Southampton University at the moment to make better bridges, but it's wonderfully integrated with the spinal cord. That could only happen by planning and design. That, that just doesn't happen by accident. So what you have are these pairs of spinal nerves. And in the vertebral column, there are 31 pairs of spinal nerves, so a total of 62. 31 on one side and 31 on the other. And there's space between the bones for the nerves to come out. But now I'm going to go through uh, the nervous system because what happens is you have uh, your brain and you have these uh, hundreds of thousands of neural pathways, effectively wires, that have to be funneled into the spinal cord. Now that's exactly what engineers do. I did that on a spacecraft. I had to funnel hundreds of wires into a small bundle. But in this case, God is doing this with hundreds of thousands of different, effectively, nerve wires, all going into that spinal cord, which is just a couple of centimetres in diameter. So it's amazing how this happens to go through the foramen magnum and then down through the spinal cord. And when they go down through the spinal cord, the motor cortex wires are kept separate to the sensory cortex wires. So you have these wires, signals going down, and other nerve wires, the signals going up. So it's remarkable how God can funnel that into the spinal cord. But this is where it starts to get interesting, because this is showing one spinal nerve, because I, I told you there are 62, there two lots of 31. This is just one spinal nerve. Notice that here are the motor signals coming down. You have these separate roots, each of which contains lots of separate, separate wires, but you have these roots going into a spinal nerve, just like an engineered wire. Look at this cable with these separate little bundles. That's exactly what happens off your spinal cord, and that has to be Plan. That could not just come about by chance. You can't just coordinate bundles into a super 
bundle. It just looks exactly like an engineering uh, system, except it's a little bit more clever than I'm showing on this diagram. Because in reality, what is happening is not only do you have these motor cables, you also have sensory cables coming from the other side. So it's not just funneling uh, one lot of cables, it's actually funneling two lots of cables into one super bundle. That is incredibly clever and really needs planning because you're not just coordinating one set of wires, you're coordinating two sets of wires. And notice they're still separated. You've got separate motor wires going down and you've got separate sensor wires going up. Now at this point, what is interesting is that there's a little bit of a problem here because if you were to look at the nerves in your body, in your hand, in your feet, in your legs, all of your nerves have a mixture of motor wires and sensor wires, but this is showing they're separated. So how can we explain the two things? Uh, just before I explain that, this is an actual picture of two pairs of spinal nerves showing the roots uh, coming in. But what God has to do is to mix the sensor and motor nerves. And when I saw this, I just thought a spacecraft engineer wouldn't, could never do this. It's just impossible. But what happens is, over a couple of centimetres your motor and sensor wires are completely mixed up so that when the nerve branches out, each individual little nerve is full of sensor wires and motor wires. Now that is just incomprehensible because out of here are thousands of individual neural pathways and thousands over here and thousands in here. How do they become totally mixed in a, a totally coordinated way. It's just impossible for an engineer to do, but God miraculously does this mixing. and That has to be planned to the nth degree, a really astonishing feature. This is showing one of the cables I use on the spacecraft and comparing it with uh, a nerve cable in your, in your body. You have lots of separate neural pathways, it's integrated with a blood supply and other sensors as well. Each of your nerves is a precision design of cable, far exceeding any engineered uh, cable. Then we come to the nerve branching, which is just impossible to do justice in, in an illustration, but just to, just to try here, uh, so here is one, well, it's one pair of spinal nerves, and here's one spinal nerve, and then branches, branches again. It branches so that the branches can reach every part of your body. If you look at any cubic millimetre of your body, those nerves reach that part of your body. Remember I said you have six million sensors on your skin. So this, this hierarchical system, the peripheral nervous system, has to branch so many times it will reach every single part 
of your body. It's just impossible to illustrate that. Your peripheral nervous system is so vast that the length of neural pathways, these nerves in your body, is also vast. You remember I said on a spacecraft there's 30 kilometres of wiring. In your body, if you're an adult, you have 150,000 kilometres of wiring. It would go around the world many, many times. It is vastly more complex and vastly uh, greater in length than even a spacecraft. Even a nuclear submarine only has 500 kilometres of wiring, just nothing compared to the human uh, body and impossible to do justice uh, on that. Then you get these even more sophisticated features because uh, this is showing part of the vertebral column and it's showing uh, one, two, three, four spinal nerves coming out. And what is fascinating is that they start networking with each other. They start merging into each other. They don't just come out separately, but they form a network. It's normally called a plexus. This is the arm nerve, the brachial plexus. And it's a very clever way of making what's called a redundant system. So if you injure your, in this case, if you injure your arm, if you cut one of your nerves, normally you can relearn to use that particular muscle because the neural pathway can find a different pathway to get back to your spinal cord. You're not limited to going in one direction. A very clever way of doing redundancy on a spacecraft Engineers are always looking at different ways of making a robust, redundant system. And when you look at the human body, the, the features are far more sophisticated than our spacecraft for creating these redundant, robust ways. So this is just astonishing levels of complexity. Then we have to integrate with bone structures. If you remember, I said the wiring system on a spacecraft has to be integrated with the structures on a spacecraft, God has to do the same. And so you, you see, you notice nerves going through big bones, like the sciatic nerve, the biggest nerve in your body, has to go through uh, the pelvis. Notice again how the separate uh, nerves coming from the spinal column join up, and then you have one neat nerve going through the pelvis. Uh, and then if that's able to go down your leg around moving joints uh, as well. Then those nerves have to traverse moving joints and some people move their joints more than others. I wouldn't recommend this for you. Um, but when you watch a gymnast moving their limbs, it, it's such extreme movements. It's amazing to think the blood vessels have to pass across those joints and the nerves have to pass across those joints and yet they still function. Uh, they're not broken because the nerves are placed just in the right place and they're robust and just brilliantly designed. When you think how quickly the human body can go wrong if you injure something or change something, it just it reveals the wonderful design of the human body. Uh, this, this is a really interesting uh, point because I mentioned earlier that you have 650 muscles, but you have tens of thousands of individual muscle bundles, because each muscle has lots of bundles. So here is one muscle, uh, one muscle, 
But notice all of these individual bundles in one muscle. And you can either activate one or all of those. But notice there's a nerve on one bundle. So there's a nerve on each one of these bundles. How do you get the nerves in the muscle? Somehow, God has to get uh, all those nerves at the root of the muscle. Loads and loads of nerves. And then they have to find their way to an individual bundle. And that happens on all 650 muscles in your body. So you have this incredible integration of wires in every part of the muscles of your body. So the, these neural pathways are not just going to every part of your skin, they're going to every part of your body, every single muscle bundle integrated totally. And on a spacecraft, I would have to speak to every other engineer in the team. Do I have permission to integrate my wires through your system and how can I do it? And then we'll negotiate. But God had to plan this for your whole body. And of course, the nerves are integrated with the organs as well. I focused on the muscles so far, but when it comes to your organs, a lot of it's automatic, automatically controlling uh, your, your heart and automatically controlling the muscles in your stomach. You don't consciously force your stomach to move. Your brain does it automatically. And even the brain can adjust the amount of um, power on some of those muscles so if you need to run for the train your brain will speed up your heart so there's this adaptive control not just automatic control so there's an incredible integration with organs just to mention having gone through those incredible features of the nervous system I want to mention two objections that people give uh, one thing I find really interesting is that Richard Dawkins writes a lot about design in his book. He doesn't actually know anything about design. He's not qualified on design, but he, he claims to know about design. And in his book, he more or less says he thinks the nervous system is badly designed. He actually, to quote him, he says he thinks the eye is designed by a complete idiot. And, but what is clear from the writings of Dawkins, and in, a, in one sense I can see where he's coming from, you see, if evolution is true, the natural world would be full of clumsy, terrible design. And on that point, I agree with Richard Dawkins. If evolution was true, the world would be full of clumsy design. But you see, Richard Dawkins then writes books assuming that to be true. But he doesn't know it's true. He's hoping it's true. But sadly for him, it's not true. But that's why he writes these things in his books. Because he knows that if evolution is true, there should be terrible design in the natural world. But the modern discoveries are proving him to be spectacularly wrong. But it's very sad to think of the wonder of the nervous system. And then he, he just tries to say there's faults with it. So he claims the eye is badly designed. And he says because... Light comes through the eye and it has to go through the retina to get to the light-sensitive cells at the back of the retina. But he has been proven to be completely wrong on this point because scientists have discovered these 
Muller cells like fiber optic cables, so light does not degrade going through the retina. In fact, the light signal actually improves because these fiber optic cables uh, deal with reflected light and do other signal conditioning. And it's so clever that engineers want to copy this for better camera system. So what Richard Dawkins calls a terrible design is actually a brilliant design of a genius. And his books have not been corrected. They're still putting forth this mistake. Uh, Richard Dawkins claims that the laryngeal nerve that goes to the larynx, he claims this is a bad loop because uh, he says it's a ridiculous detour. Why should there be a loop in a, in a wire? In fact, he calls this the best example of bad design in the natural world. It's like the worst thing, you know. And remember, I've just talked about the wonder of the nervous system and he's claiming it's a bad uh, design. I mean, one thing to say immediately is that the system works perfectly well. And you normally you would associate bad design with something that doesn't work. So it actually works. So it's very presumptuous to say he thinks there shouldn't be a loop. That's quite a presumptuous thing. Also, if he came to my first lecture on wiring systems, because I've been lecturing on this for 25 years, as well as designing it for 25 years, the first thing I say in my first lecture is, you often have loops. So if he came to my first lecture, he wouldn't even make this uh, mistake. This is a wiring system I designed for the MVSAT satellite, and I have two loops. And those loops are almost identical in size and shape to the human laryngeal nerve. And I probably do it for similar reasons that God did his loops. Uh, first of all, I have to design a wiring system that the technicians are able to assemble and construct. Often we have loops in our nervous system so that when we grow in the womb, our organs move apart and that allows those organs to actually move apart. So the way we're assembled and constructed puts a lot of constraints on where the wires go. But not only that, having a loop gives flexibility for the, for the joint. You, you, with wires, you must never make things too tight. In fact, you could look at the wires around these computers and in the building, and you notice the wiring engineer never makes tight connections where things can fall apart. You always put some slack in wires. But there are other reasons as well. You can see I have some intermediate connections here to a thermocouple and to a proximity sensor. And in exactly the same way, God has intermediate connections to the trachea and esophagus because you don't want tiny wires going on their own. They, want, they need to piggyback with larger cables. So there's a whole host of reasons. In fact, another reason which is good about this, you have a lower uh, nerve and an upper nerve and that gives you redundancy if you have a problem in one part of your neck it's unlikely to affect both a whole host of sophisticated design reasons for that laryngeal nerve Richard Dawkins is completely unaware of any of these uh, things and he's so eager to write the conclusion of what he's hoping would be the conclusion is that there's bad design in nature that's where he's coming from so in your body, you have 150,000 kilometers of brilliant wiring. It is a brilliant design, far in excess of the best that engineers ever do. And that 
alone demolishes the idea that our nervous system could have evolved by chance. Because I said at the beginning, if it had evolved by chance, it would be far simpler than what engineers do, because evolution is restricted to step-by-step -step change. But now I'm going to explain how clever you are, because uh, I'm going to talk about the brain. Uh, in the brain, there are trillions of connections, that's thousands of billions. In one millimeter cubed, there are a billion connections in your brain. If I ask my technician to make a billion connections in a millimeter cubed, well, I won't repeat what he would say to me. <laughs> just making a hundred uh, is, is a hard thing for an engineer. Storage capacity, one million gigabytes, that's a lot of memory sticks. Uh, one of the challenges of building computers today is keeping them cool. Uh, in hot countries like Japan, uh, people have special techniques for keeping their laptops cool. They pile copper coins on them to, as like a heat sink. It's very difficult to keep computers cool. God has a very clever system. He puts 100,000 miles of blood vessels in one brain. Not just to give oxygen and food, but also to cool the brain uh, down. Last year, IBM broke the world record for the biggest supercomputer, and they called it the Summit. This was last year, IBM. And their supercomputer is about as big as this building, uh, bigger than this room. And it is not as fast as a human brain. It has a fifth of the processing speed, a thousand times bigger. And it needs nearly a million times more energy to run. The human brain needs 20 watts, IBM's supercomputer needs 13 million watts to run. That is, that's humiliating for engineers. And yet people will not acknowledge that there is a God. Uh, when you hold a baby, you're probably thinking, this is a cute baby, very pretty baby. I'm thinking, how many neurons are being created? 50,000 neurons are formed every second during fetal brain growth. A hundred billion neurons are formed before birth. And at birth, each neuron has 2,500 synapses, giving a total of 50 trillion connections. I should also point out that I haven't had time to go into the molecular machinery involved in the nervous system. I've concentrated on the macro design. But the electrochemical signals is a wonder of design just in itself. And I was uh, reading recently that uh, one protein is a very complex uh, molecule, but in the nervous system, some connections have up to a thousand different proteins making the connections, just giving a bewildering uh, complexity. So your body has several subsystems, the digestive subsystem, the respiratory subsystem, uh, the, the bones. Incredible how God integrates everything. God makes it look easy, but it's unbelievably complicated and impressive. And in many ways, the nervous system integrates everything, which is why I'm quite interested in that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, even though we live in a fallen world, and our book, Wonders of Creation, it does have a subtitle, Evidence of Design in a Fallen World. But even though 
we do have bad things in this world, disease, suffering, death. It's still plain to see we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, two of my favourite uh, verses relating to this topic uh, from the book of Job, God does great things which we just cannot comprehend. As I've been researching the nervous system, I keep thinking of this verse. I cannot comprehend what God has done. It's just incomprehensible. And God is just infinite in his understanding. Whether you look at the stars or uh, creation on this earth, you see God is infinite in his wisdom and understanding. Uh, God is in the detail. I remember Andy McIntosh once saying, rather than saying the devil's in the detail, you should be saying God is in the detail. Uh, when you think of all the detail of all those sensors around the body and being an engineer I teach my students when they design a car or an aeroplane they have to specify every single detail on a Boeing 747 there might be four million components each component has something like a hundred pieces of information all the dimensions all the surface finishes all the tolerances all the material processing and you can't leave something out everything has to be Specified masses of information, and God has detailed us to the absolute uh, limits of what is needed for us to be uh, created. And it shows God's care for us because He wants He wants us to be able to recognise ten million colours with our eyes. He's designed our eyes to do that. He's designed He's given us ten thousand taste buds so we can enjoy food. He wants He's not only given us richly all things to enjoy, but he's designed us richly to enjoy all things. He wants us to have pleasure and joy in this life. And the way he's designed us shows his care. Uh, but as Jesus said, consider the flowers of the field, how God has beautified and clothed them. That is a reminder of how much God cares for us. God is a God of detail in, in our life, as well. He knows every anxiety, every pain, every problem we have. God knows those details as well. So it's encouraging to study creation, not just to see the creator, his attributes, but to be reminded of his care in our lives uh, as well. So uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully wired. <laughs> Um, now I have just a couple of minutes to tell you something a little bit more about the relevance uh, of all of this and Andy Mack and my uh, Tosh and myself have had some interactions with Richard Dawkins so just in the last five minutes I'm going to uh, give you some examples of that So, um, uh, sorry, uh, Richard Dawkins has um, had some interaction 
with Andy McIntosh through The Guardian. And just to summarise some of that uh, interaction, because it was good to hear earlier there's work going on in universities, because there is a great spiritual battle going on in universities. Uh, you know, the devil has, the, I mean, 1 John 5, 19, the devil has sway over the whole world, and he certainly has sway in universities. So Richard Dawkins has said this, maybe Burgess and Macintosh are right, and all the rest of us, biologists, geologists, archaeologists, historians, chemists, cosmologists, yastemadamasists, respectable theologians, respectable theologians, <laughs> the vast majority of Nobel Prize winners, fellows of the Royal Society, and the National Academy of the World are wrong. Not just slightly wrong, but catastrophically, appallingly, devastatingly wrong. If Burgess and Macintosh are right, the scientific establishment has fallen. Yes. In the last few years, Dawkins has had a few doubts about various things, so he's obviously having doubts uh, here as well. So uh, just a few more slides on the relevance of all of this and the battle in universities. Uh, one of the things that has surprised me, being an academic, the last 30 years working in universities, is how many of my colleagues are agnostic and sympathetic to intelligent design, but they keep very quiet. Dawkins is part of a very, very small minority, a very loud minority, and unfortunately the media don't understand this, and they sometimes portray academics is not believing in intelligent design being or being atheist and that's not true at all many of my colleagues will say the evidence is undeniable it is just undeniable the denials of secular science so this is what Dawkins says biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose so in his lectures, he would tell his students, yes, it looks designed. The nervous system, it looks designed. But just remember, it's not designed. <laughs> and I have three children at university at the moment, one at Cambridge, one at the University of London, one in Southampton. And they're told the same thing week after week. The world looks designed, but just remember, it's not. That is what students are taught up and down the country and for those of you involved in evangelism don't underestimate what the devil is doing in a very uh, subtle way here i'll just give you a couple of other quotes here is one uh, dr scott todd this is a great admission even if all the data point to an intelligent designer such a hypothesis is excluded it is not naturalistic <laughs> It's and this is bad science. Evolution is based on faith. It's based on an assumption. And when you really uh, look into things, you realise they are not interested in what the evidence shows. They have faith in their religion. And this was really where it started. Modern science, well, the modern kind of hardline atheism. Modern science must rule out special creation. That's 
terrible science just to rule something out. God is banned from the lecture room and the classroom. So false teaching. I just start with a wonderful quote from 1932, the first evolution protest movement. This is nearly 90 years ago. We, we feel the public are being deceived. Evolution propaganda does not present the facts impartially. It dwells upon those which favour the theory while suppressing those who oppose it. Such are not the methods of true but of false science. And in the last 90 years, it's the same situation. It's suppression of the truth as it speaks of in Romans chapter 1. It is a spiritual battle and the devil is very active in this spiritual battle. So if you read Richard Dawkins, uh, in his book, The Greatest Show on Earth, he says evolution is a fact. And he, through the book, he just repeats this, like evolution is a fact. And uh, the British Humanist Society have been very clever at lobbying Parliament, and they're the ones who got in legislation a couple of years ago for primary schools to teach evolution as a fact. And it's come from Dawkins and the British Humanist society they lobby they know where the battle is with the children and with education this is what Richard Dawkins said about the origin of life life coming from a chemical soup we have no evidence about what the first step in making life was but we do know the kind of step it must have been it must have been whatever it took to get natural selection started <laughs> by some process as yet unknown <laughs> so how can it be a fact how can evolution be a fact when even the person who just said that plainly shows it's not a fact because there's no evidence that life could ever start on its own the evidence is stacked against it, it you just need blind faith to believe and Dawkins says no reputable science dis scientist disputes it what he means is if you do dispute it you're not a reputable scientist um, and he knows there are thousands uh, this, this, an interesting list from the states, uh, scientific dissent from Darwin. There are thousands of scientists who say they do not support the theory of evolution. So, it's it, you know, he's saying things that are just absolutely not true. But our students in university are unaware of this. It's so important to get the truth to the students in the universities. If you look on Wiki, intelligent design is a pseudo-scientific argument for the existence of God. It's actually evolution, which is a pseudo-scientific uh, theory for the existence of God. Um, I do a lot of uh, bio-inspired design based on observational science in the lab. Uh, and that completely supports uh, everything that the Bible teaches me. Um, so my, I don't have blind faith, I, I do have faith, um, and I don't say to people that these things can be proved, I have faith in creation, but it's not blind faith, and what I observe in the laboratory really supports and gives me confidence in my faith. It's not pseudoscience, it's observational science. In contrast, it's the evolutionist who does not do observational science. So if you are uh, an academic in academia, and if you're a creationist, you're told not to mention intelligent 
design. Do not defend intelligent design. You're allowed to criticise intelligent design. You're not allowed to defend it. And in 2000, I was told by my colleagues, do not publish a book. Uh, they said, wait till you retired. <laughs> and at that point, because they said, you know, everyone, they can start talking about their religion as soon as they're retired. I was 37 in 2000. <laughs> I, I was supposed to wait 28 years to publish that book, so I just went ahead and did it. And they said, do not put qualifications on your book. You have to separate your faith from your science. Don't make people think that you have your faith, partly because you're a scientist, but because I'm a professor of engineering design, uh, the book was exactly in my expertise, so I refused and I, I put my qualifications on there. They asked for a disclaimer, um, and uh, if you were at the mega conference, I then went through a long list of examples of the intimidation, and I actually, I don't have time to do this now, but another time I'll give this talk. But I actually show some of the emails sent to the vice chancellor of my university asking for me to be disciplined or fired or demoted because I believe in creation, because I dare to mention it to my students, and it created uh, quite a big thing. It's about 30 slides, so I don't have time to show you that <laughs> now. But I wanted to show you some of these slides to show you that there is a real spiritual battle one of the most encouraging things for me has been students. Well, actually, I mentioned two things. One is God using non-Christians to keep me in my job because I've had a head of school and a dean above me who have said they would defend my academic freedom to the death, and they're agnostics. They're not even Christians, but God used them to save me in my job. That's been very encouraging. <laughs> Because some agnostics get really annoyed with people like Richard Dawkins when they see their tactics, and God uses that. But another thing that's been encouraging has been students. And uh, several times students, I mean, with the internet, they know exactly... I don't have to mention creation, because they all look at YouTube and they, they see all the, the talks and things. But the students tell me that one of the reasons they're so interested in creation is because of the anger of the biologist, the anger of Richard Dawkins, mm. that at least is interested in the emotion of the whole thing, is even the technical mm. arguments, and they're saying, why are the biologists so defensive? Mm. Don't they have confidence in their theory? They don't want to debate, they don't want to explain things, they scream at creationists. Mm. Surely they they, are, they have no confidence in, that, in the theory of evolution, and the students are correct and I've met so many biologists who tell me they are not confident in the theory of evolution, even non-Christian biologists. The only people I meet who are confident in the theory of evolution are theologians in theological colleges. They are the only people I know who are confident in the because they mistakenly think that biologists are confident in the theory of evolution and it is not true because they're not confident, but they won't admit that to the media. So there's a great spiritual battle. The battle is fierce in our primary schools, our secondary schools, universities. This is why the work of places like Truth in Science are really, really important, because education is a real battleground. Armstead and Genesis also have excellent resources uh, on this, and also are at the front line of the battle. So please pray, for, especially for 
the whole education system, the battles that go on, pray for universities, um, and do make the most of all the excellent resources. But you can be encouraged, there is no conflict between the Bible and science. Thank you.